The Caring View, bringing you unfiltered conversations from the world of social care and health. Presented by me, Mark Tops, and me, Adam Fennell. Sit back, make your notes, and prepare to be inspired. Powered by carestartgroom.com, the care marketplace with everything you need to provide great care, including the kitchen sink. Yes, including the kitchen sink. If you don't believe us, go and check them out. Hello, this is the Caring View podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Adam Pinnell. And I'm the other host, Mark Tops. Uh, today we're joined by Sam Briggs, a scriptwriter and care worker up until uh, three months ago, um, who's written a film called When the Clapping Stops. Now, if you are all aware of social care and the situation of key workers during the pandemic, you'll know what we're referring to uh, with the clapping. If you watch our show and listen to our podcast, you'll know my opinion on the clapping on the doorsteps uh, and most probably Mark's opinion as well. Um, so it was a, a real welcome surprise to, to, to find this movie, to stumble upon this movie. So Sam, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners? Absolutely. Um, thank you very much for having me on, guys. My name's Sam. Um, as Adam said, so I've been uh, a care worker on and off for the past nine years, but then more recently I've also been working um, in film, uh, both as a writer and producer, and also I work for film festivals kind of up and down uh, the country. So hopefully once we get into it, we'll find that my views on Clap for Care is aligned with yours. Let's see. I mean, it was it was a very bizarre time, the, the the pandemic. And, you know, if you're on TikTok, if you're on social media, you'll see this thing where it's, you know, millennials just living through another once in a lifetime uh, event that's occurring. Uh, you know, we are recording this post-death of Our Majesty the Queen, um, which just seems like another thing that we are living through a first of a, a once in a lifetime situation. And the pandemic was bizarre and the clap for carers was bizarre. Um, so I just wanted to, for our, for our viewers, I've, I've told you the film's called um, uh, When the Clapping Stops. Just give us a bit of a background about the short film because it's around 12 minutes long, isn't it? So just give us a bit of a synopsis of what the film's about. Yeah, sure. So, so, so the film is about a young, dedicated care worker called Matty. Um, he's kind of in his mid-20s. And Matty is kind of whilst also having to work as a care worker, he's also having to provide unpaid care for his uh, his grandfather who's got Alzheimer's. And it's basically about, you know, the pressure of having to balance his, his paid care work duties with his unpaid um, carer responsibilities and how the pressure just kind of builds up and builds up and builds up until eventually he suffers from, you know, burnout and kind of mistakes start to slip into his to his work, basically. So, yeah, that's that's um, that's what the film follows. Thank you very much. So the film is obviously a, so, a sobering look at lonely life of being an independent carer. Where did you find inspiration came for this? Was it first-hand experience or was it vicarious experience? Yeah, I mean, it was mostly, um, yeah, kind of picking up bits of, of my own experiences of, of working. You know, most of the work I've done has been one-to-one uh, in people's houses, you know, people using their direct payments to kind of pay for an independent care worker to come in. So I kind of found that I had lots of, you know, lots of amazing people that I'd met with lots of interesting stories to tell and kind of also my own experiences and, and that kind of thing as well. And I'd, I'd honestly never thought about writing about it at all. I very much kept my my work as in my, my paid care work and my kind of creative practice totally separate. And then what really sparked it was Clap for Carers. 
and that just being such an odd sensation. And I can remember my, I was, so I was uh, living with, with one housemate at the time when we were during that first lockdown. I remember him kind of going, right, let's go out onto the doorstep. We're going to clap for these carers. And I was like, great, cool. Let's do that. I'm banging on a saucepan. He actually got into my car and started honking the horn on my car. But I just remember having the strangest experience of kind of standing there being like, wait, am I clapping? Am I clapping for myself? Like, who, who am I Who am I clapping for? And how does this make me feel? And, you know, I kind of had that sensation, I'm sure. Well, I don't want to speak for other people, but I had the sensation of thinking like, well, I don't feel like a hero. So I feel quite strange right now clapping for myself. And that was a really bizarre sensation. Um, and then from then on, I was just like, right, I think that now's, you know, the time to kind of write about, write about this. Um, so, yeah, it's really all from, you know, firsthand experience. And there are some kind of individual moments in the film that are things that have happened to, to me. So, uh, you know, one of, one of the biggest mistakes I made when I was about a very young care worker at the time I was about 18 is I forgot to give someone their medication their epilepsy medication we didn't really have any we didn't really have any kind of things in place to remind you you know there weren't alarms there wasn't a manager there reminding you and it just slipped my mind and the person had seizure you know and it's kind of in the morning found that they'd you know fallen out of their bed so some of the stuff in there is very personal and for me at the time when it happened quite well and for them quite traumatic stuff so a lot of it is very truthful and then as with everything a lot of it is fictionalized as well um so yeah and it's very subtle as well. It's not. It's not on the nose. You know. It's the, the the there's very few. And this isn't. You know. Not to pull you out on your script writing skills. But there's very few words in it. And it's very much. Um, everything's very much implied throughout. So it's not a case of watching people stand on the doorsteps clapping. It's not a case of him going, "Oh no, I've forgotten to give medication." It is very subtle, and yeah. I think it's a very brave. It's a brave take on it because the media, and I'm probably going off piece on our questions now, but the media is usually quite negative when it comes to representing social care. And although this isn't a bundle of joy, it's not like, oh, yay, wonderful, really heartwarming rom-com style story. It does show a side of social care that needs to be represented. Um, I, I suppose I want to know, what do you want to achieve with this film? What's What was the point in it? Was it a case of it being a cathartic exercise? actually, this is my experience and this is just going to help me process it? Or is there is there a, an end goal in sight with actually making this? Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I'm glad, I'm glad that you said it, that you found bits of it quite subtle. For me, that's always one of the most important challenges with script writing is how can you do the least for the reader or for the audience and for them to still totally understand what you're going for, to not to not force feed them anything, but to drip feed stuff. So I'm, I'm glad that you felt that because that's, you know, hopefully, hopefully uh, what other people feel as well. In terms of what we hope to achieve, I mean, the problems with the social care industry at the moment, it's, it's one of those very strange things that we all have been a part of with kind of the same with schools and housing where everyone knows what the problem is. And there's so much lip service around the problem that's been kind of ongoing for so long and yet change is kind of, at a glacial pace, even though we all know and we all report on the same problems all the time. So so I suppose for us, we, we, we hoped there would be value in just taking the same thing that people know is a thing, but just presenting it in a different medium. Like, you know, journalists have covered this. Care workers have said, you know, we're really up against it. People with disabilities are 
you know, often incredibly vocal about the challenges they face. But, you know, with us using the skills that we have at our disposal to put it in a visual realm, like can we engage people with the problems just in a different way and just hope that that can kind of spark um, more more movement than there's already been. So that was so so in a way, all we're trying to do is feed into a conversation that's already there, but just kind of hoping that by doing it in a slightly different space that we can kind of really keep up the momentum and light even more of a fire. So that's that's one thing. I think another thing that I really wanted to do is as I said, a lot of the work that I've done has been one-to-one in people's homes. And that kind of sense of lives lived totally on the peripheries often, whether that be the client who's got a disability that perhaps makes, um, you know, going into town less accessible so they don't leave their house so often, so they may be invisible to people in that way, or just care workers who are, you know, working uh, unsociable hours. So I kind of really wanted that focus on, you know, that these are lives lived on the peripheries inside people's houses often, which is obviously a very private sphere, that people, you know, might not have seen themselves. So I really wanted to kind of get a bit of a focus um, on that. Within it, I, you know, we kind of as well, we, we wanted to educate, we, we're very set on the fact that this is Matty, the care worker's story. And that's what we were going to focus on. I think with writing and with any kind of art, it's very important to like know what you're in a position to cover. And it felt as though I was, you know, in a position to represent um, certain things about care work, but that I didn't want, I, I wanted, yeah, for that reason, I wanted it to, to be very much their story. But on the other hand, you've also got to acknowledge they are caring for someone. So at the time I was um, working as a care worker with, with someone with, with epilepsy. So it's like, right, I feel as though I can give hopefully a fairly truthful account of that, you know, having worked with lots of people with severe epilepsy before. So can this also be used as a way to kind of subtly do a bit of education around that? So in the film, you'll, you'll have seen, we don't, I don't think the word epilepsy is ever actually said during the film, um, but we have things like, I don't know if you guys work with epileptics, but the kind of five minute timer, you know, for people who don't know there's often the kind of guidance of you know if someone starts to have a seizure you set this five minute timer at the end of that if it's still ongoing then that might be when you need to phone for an ambulance etc etc so so we also wanted there to be a sense of kind of helping people understand a little bit about epilepsy if they didn't already even though it's mainly the carer's story thank you very much and i think i think it's great that it's got an educational angle to it and i think you're absolutely right talking about that it's the same old thing and adam and i have had this conversation on the care review many a time that actually it's the same kind of drum that we're beating and the same kind of message that we're trying to push out how do you think that we can get more social care stories made and out there in the media yeah i mean <laughs> i mean one of the problems is that if you're looking at from a kind of funding standpoint unfortunately the underfunding that exists in social care in the nhs and the underfunding that exists in the arts in the uk means that that's kind of a perfect cocktail for it to be one hell of a challenge to get films like this made so so it's you know fair to acknowledge the fact that, that you are up against a little bit of a challenge there which is a shame but you know you've just got to kind of work really hard for it i think i think that it's about you know there's going to be so many care workers up and down the country who feel like they have a story to tell and it's about using whatever they 
have whatever medium is the one that they're comfortable in and they've got a talent for to express that whether it's that you're a filmmaker a, an activist a painter running a podcast like you guys again you know i don't want to be too downbeat about it the obvious challenge there is you know if you're working as a care worker and you're experiencing burnout you're working on social hours and you're not getting paid a huge amount finding that time and that energy to also then explore your your creative passion as well is you know obviously difficult so there are there are challenges there um i think with with any kind of story people are always looking for that human connection so i do think that there is an interest in these kinds of stories like i don't think for any by any means that, that there's a kind of um a kind of blacklist against against stories like this being told so you know if you if you have a script that that is workable then then you know people there's no reason why people wouldn't take um an interest in it i'm currently trying to get financed a short documentary about one of my clients you know and kind of about trying to focus even more on you know what is that relationship like between care workers and their clients so you know i think there was the jody coma care work show was it called help Help, yeah. That was on during the pandemic. So so the stories are out there, and I think that people are genuinely really interested in them. So even though you're up against a challenge, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I do think people are really interested in these kinds of stories. I absolutely agree. And I think help was a really good way of actually shining that spotlight on what social care was like during the pandemic. So you obviously were a care worker up until recently. Can you tell us more about how you found the role? Do you miss being kind of out there supporting people? So I know that obviously I very much miss being hands-on and I feel like mm. I'm very removed from kind of the world of social care sometimes. How did you find it and how do you find it now? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you say how, how did I find it and how do I find it now? Because I have found that it's something, you know, I did it for, you know, about nine years. And the kind of experience I had with it when I first started, you know, it was my first job. You know, I started, you know, I'd worked in a pub before, but it's basically my first kind of full-time career type job that I started when I was 18. Um, and, you know, obviously at that age, you maybe have slightly different pressures that you have as you start to get older, particularly kind of financial. So it is, so my relationship with it has kind of changed. I've enjoyed it through throughout, you know, it's, it's, it's incredibly fun. It's incredibly energizing. Ironically, there is that a lot of my film is about, you know, burnout is about kind of if you're doing these unsociable hours, maybe overnight shifts, low pay, emotional stress, phys you know, physically demanding, it can lead to burnout. Having said that, I do, <laughs> I do find it very energizing because it's that thing of a different, different people often every time a week. So you're not always rolling with the same people. The task could be different absolutely every single day not just doing the drudge of a nine till five people can find very energizing as well so you know i've whilst obviously the film is a lot about burnout i have found that it's very kind of rewarding and energizing i think as well it can be an incredibly enlightening job you know having done it for nine years the the range of people that i've supported is huge so i've worked with you know young people with learning difficulties and then with you know people uh, with epilepsy, people with all sorts of different backgrounds and all sorts of different um, disabilities and complex needs who have all got a totally separate story to tell. And, you know, going back to what I was saying about how it sometimes can be, feel like a life on the periphery, you know, they've all got 
interesting angles and it, you know it kind of broadens your own perspectives being able to have conversations with these people i remember over lockdown i was working with um uh, a woman in london um who had uh usher syndrome syndrome so it's dual sensory loss so kind of uh, hearing hearing and visual and she was i mean a just ruthlessly intelligent like incredibly incredibly wise person and also incredibly political and you know i it wasn't exactly this time that i was writing that script but it was in the kind of previous six months and a lot of the things that we so so again going back to the film like some of it is inspired by me but a lot of it is inspired by talking to my clients and she had you know lots of insight that i couldn't get just on me of you know the, the effects of understaffing and you know how that power balance can can play out if you're if you're a if you're a I'm using the term client, but you know, if you if you use carers and you know that at any point, if your carer was to leave, say because you you wanted them to, you fired them, for example, that they could have another role the next day because it's that understaffed. Whereas you're on the flip side thinking, well, if I've got a care worker and I think he's only doing a you know six out of ten job, it's fine, but I I'd like someone better or who fits me better as a person, and I get rid of them. You know, I haven't got any guarantee I'm going to have someone in the next three months and I need someone. So so it's also really kind of broadened my perspectives getting to just talk with with different people. I think in the film, one of the things that I really, you know, wanted to express with the kind of relationships you build is that they've, they cover absolutely everything. You know, so it's not at times it's, you know, a care worker client relationship you understand how that feels but at times it could be more almost of like a parental relationship because often I'm supporting people who are 60 years my senior you know and they've got you know I'm supporting them that's 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 fine they're great but they also have so much life experience that I don't even have which makes you feel a bit like a child and that you're learning from them in an adult way I've got people who who the relationship with you see see people in incredibly I don't intimate well, I think intimate probably is the right word, you know, in, in situations where you wouldn't necessarily see your best friend, for example, you know, what time do they brush their teeth in the morning? What time do they go to bed? This, this, when do they, when do they do their washing? You know, these kinds of things that unless you live with someone and sometimes not even then that you maybe don't get an insight um, into. So, so the relationships that you have are very complex and multifaceted. And we really wanted to get that in there and I think that maybe that's kind of part of what you know as I've said it's understaffed and a lot of people do leave but I think part of that is what keeps people in there for so long is that the relationships that you strike up are you know it's not even enough to say that they're positive it's that they're so different to other relationships um and we wanted to get some of that into an 11 minute film which is obviously very hard but you know that was kind of one of the things that drove me when you're writing about two characters having a chat so, yeah. And the turnover, the 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 idea of people leaving the jobs is, you know, it's quite a poignant message right at the end of the film. I won't, you know, spoil too much about it. But there's also a scene that stuck with me when I watched it, and it's the idea of continuity. And I think it's that innocence of going in on a care call, being brand new to the situation and thinking you're doing a good job, you know, hi, yeah, yeah I'll go put the kettle on, and yeah. actually not taking into account that this person doesn't know you. And it's a shakeup of a situation, and it was it was a sobering moment that for me. And I just think uh, it was really nicely portrayed without again it very subtle without it having to be sort of hammered in and on the nose. 
Yeah. One thing I want to ask, and um, it's not one where we prepared previous, so I do apologise, is I like the fact that the cast was diverse. I like that the person that was being supported wasn't your typical elderly person that you would see in care. You know, was quite young, and I say young, you know, late sixties, probably early sixties. Um, there was there was a humorous side to it, um, but it was also nice to see the ethnic diversity of the person providing the care, and in being a male as well, which you know, seventy percent of the social care workforce are female, um, and we do struggle to attract males into the role. Was there a, an agenda, not a negative agenda, but was there an agenda around the casting and the writing of the character for you? Yeah, um, yeah, I'm glad you asked about the casting actually, because, well, so so first off, yeah, focusing on what you're saying about it not being an elderly person, which is often the kind of presentation. So, so the character of June is very closely based on one of my previous clients, who is like an absolute, and I don't mean this condescendingly, but rock star, like a real rocker. You know, just unbelievable energy and charisma, and just you know, a real firecracker and just energy, energy, energy at all times. And, you know, when I first came to write about it and I was thinking, well, you know, what, what what's the actual, you know, it was quite easy to write a character who is a, a care worker in their mid twenties. Cause you know, that's, you know, not spoiling anything to say that, you know, I could base a lot of that on me. And then when it kind of became of right, so who's this other character going to be and who's he going to bounce off this, this guy that I was working with. Well, I actually saw him for a pint yesterday, but I was working with him until about three months ago was just, the obvious choice and it really helped to get a bit of life into the scenes which I think is important as well because as you kind of pointed out there it's not the cheeriest watch in the world but we wanted the scenes of those two to have humor and to have passion and drive so that then when the sobering moments happen they they both elevate each other so we wanted this, the scenes have, to have life and positivity and energy so I think casting someone a bit a bit younger, you know, middle age, um, work well for that. In terms of the casting of the care worker, Matty, who's played by Miles Mitchell, who's an amazing, amazing actor. He was on, um, he was <laughs> he was the character Alex Duval on Holby City for, for 10 episodes. Um, I don't know if you guys watch Holby City. Um, but he's an amazing, amazing actor. And we were just very lucky in that he was our first choice for the part. And we, my director had worked with him on, previous film earlier in his career when my director was kind of a runner and was kind of in awe of this of this actor on set and um we we reached out to him and we met up with him and when he read for the role it was really kind of yeah it was really crazy you know having having written lines and felt as though you know exactly what they're going to sound like and then someone that talented delivers them and you go oh wow i, I barely even recognize them and they're that they're that elevated so so really there wasn't an agenda with casting of of the of the care worker um you know positive agenda as it would be it was simply that he was you know the the best and most talented actor we could get and we were just incredibly lucky that he said yes um so yes that's that's kind of a bit of insight into the into the casting and he's, he, he has got a a really good um i say a really good story it's it's a story that's probably going to connect with people who are watching it so you know i've done surveys and, and consultations in the past and you know the majority of people who will go into care will have some first-hand experience of being a carer in in a familial situation um and again not to give away too much of of the the story but he, he also finds himself in that position and 
it's it's heartbreaking really to see him struggle his caring duties on both sides. Um, and I suppose probably not on your peripheral when you were writing this, but heading into the cost of living crisis now, it feels like there might almost be a sequel. You know, seeing what his situation is like at the end of this short, you know, going into the crisis that carers are currently in at this moment in time, you know, his his story could probably just be much worse um, moving forwards. Is there any chance or any thought about expanding this? Because, you know, sometimes you get a good short and then it gets into a bigger film or... Um, you'll get yeah. a follow-up, or is it just a, a single standalone, and then you're, are you on to a next project? Yeah, it's it's funny that because I think as a writer and a producer, you always want to be pushing yourself and not making the same story over and over again. Having said that, as I said, I hadn't considered making anything like this for the previous nine years that I was doing it. So then, when I did come to do it, I was like, "Wow, I actually have a lot more than you know, eleven minutes of one short to say." So. We're really lucky that it's been as well received as it has. And we're basically kind of on tour with it pretty much the whole of the next month at film festivals kind of up and down the country. So we've, we're going to Bolton, Wigan, Lowestoft, Wimbledon. So all kind of around with the film, um, which gives us a really good kind of measure of how it's being received and how people are enjoying it, but also kind of hopefully meet some people who, um, you know, who, who, who kind of might be interested in seeing the story in a bigger, um, in a bigger form. So at the same time, I've, you know, working on a feature film script that's not actually the same character, but again, it's the it's very similar kind of topic of someone who runs their own, um, you know, care provider kind of agency and kind of the difficulties that they face and how it impacts their work. Um, and as I said, I want to make a documentary also about one of my about one of my clients. So I think there's so many stories to be had, and I think if it was any other topic, you know, people wouldn't maybe even see that they're, you know, connected. You'd get lots of stories whereby a character, you know, for example, is is a homosexual, but then that's not the main kind of point of the story. It's just that's part of their story. And I think it would be the same with this, you know, their lives lived on the edge, their, their care workers, their care work clients, but the story that they have to tell between themselves aren't going to be anything like the story that Matty and June have, because, you know, there's just so much, um, you know, variety there. So, so hopefully we'll get, yeah, I, I really feel like I'll have the opportunity to explore a slightly different story, but in a in a similar realm. I think there's another story that ready that I want to tell about social care, at least with one more project, I think. I think for me, there's definitely something about watching, whether it's a short or it's a, a longer film about the relationship between people. And I think you've got the experience of what it is like hands-on. And I think that kind of portrays all the way through. You spoke about touring with the with the film up and down the country at the moment. How is the film being received? What's the feedback that you're receiving at the moment? Yeah, so far it's really brilliant. I think there's something that, um, something, I don't know how I hadn't considered this, but you know the way that the kind of film started was me and my director, Cameron, who's a very, very talented director and editor, really has a real eye for kind of human emotion, much much more than I do, um, and really bringing that stuff out. And one of the things that he kind of, you know, when I first started telling the story, I was a little bit like, what's the story here? It kind of feels a bit odd telling a story that's almost about yourself. And he kind of came out with this point that had just totally eluded me until then that was kind of like, the story of care workers and care is one that affects almost everyone. You know, so many people have had 
even if it's just that you had a grandparent who was elderly when you were a kid and that they maybe had living carers or you've got a sibling or you know someone who works in that industry you know if you think about how many kind of social care and healthcare and frontline workers up and down the country there are so everyone has a stake in this story and that's something that I don't think I'd kind of fully appreciate when I first started working on it so people who watch it you know have very personal reactions to it which which is brilliant which is amazing so so far so far the response has been really good um but I think kind of in a way we kind of always you know hoped that it would be and you know it's, it's it's not kind of one of those problems where people on the street the public don't you know appreciate the problems that the social care industry is facing and don't value care workers on that kind of emotional level it's more kind of you know getting the background support that's that's the problem so 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 far the reception's been on a kind of one-to-one level really brilliant so we're really humbled by that i was going to say i'm glad you mentioned about um the public valuing care workers because obviously you know when the clapping stops we had that period of uh eight weeks 12 weeks was it of, of clapping every thursday evening and it started out for NHS workers, moved on to NHS and care workers, moved on to all frontline workers. Um, and then when the clapping did stop, the fingers started getting pointed and blame started being, you know, laid on on the actual care services themselves, on the care providers, on the care workers. And then they were vilified during the, the, the vaccine mandate debacle within actual care settings. What, and I presume, you know, part of this story so forgive me if i've interpreted it wrong is the fact that actually when the clapping stopped there was it, it just stopped all recognition stopped that support stopped what do you want to see moving forward what do you think needs to happen recognition wise now for social care workers yeah um i mean it's so interesting about that because you know we were developing the script during that kind of time the first lockdown clap for carers and i remember really now it seems hilarious but at the time, I remember just prior to us filming was when Boris kind of unveiled his you know, social care reform plan. And I remember sitting there and thinking, oh, my God, are we going to have worked on this film for a whole year? And now it's going to get blown out of the water and not going to be relevant anymore. And within a day, I just realised what an incredibly naive thought that was for me to even have, that suddenly there's going to be a new kind of social care reform plan that was all going to be fixed. And obviously that didn't happen which I wish that it did and I'm very sad about that but it's kind of that thing of it's an evolving picture and Covid has kind of accelerated well I don't know about accelerated but kind of put it put it on people's screens and on people's doorsteps and kind of maybe sped up the conversation that was already there and being started to have but it's this rapidly evolving picture in the same way that the country's been through something unprecedented social care has obviously been you know, the, the, the most so because we've been the people who've been there. So, um, yeah, sorry to have gone off piece slightly with that. What was, do you mind, remind, me what, remind me what you're actually asking me again, Adam? Sorry. No, it's fine. So where, where, what recognition, what, what do we need to see happen yeah. now moving forward? You know, let's say we're Matty. What, what does Matty need now actually to be able to enjoy his job and live his life in a, in a, in a, in a decent way and not like how he does in the film? Yeah, I mean, as I've kind of mentioned to Mark there kind of previously, I feel like the public reception and to care workers has always been positive. You know, everyone's had that 
well for me anyway everyone's had that experience of you know having a conversation with people and you go you know what do you do and you go i'm i'm a care worker and people go brilliant that's great i'm so glad that you do that and well done for doing that and you know someone who's who gets that support so there's recognition from the public it for me it is just about making that change to the whole industry sweeping changes that are going to make systemic changes a lot of it unfortunately to do with understaffing and underfunding i feel like for me there's there's a couple of things that we kind of hope could be achieved with the film or help to be achieved one of them as we kind of mentioned there before as well is there is this big overlap between people who work as care workers and have unpaid care duties and we feel as though there are some businesses and private sectors that are really amazing with giving uh, people support as a result of that but absolutely more could be done with that and, I, and we feel as though if there was increased support in that way you know more recognition of your own staff who have got unpaid care duties a they'd be able to perform better at home and b B, it would help get that recognition out there as well. If kind of big businesses, you know, with lots of money and lots of employees were kind of publicly going like, hey, you know, we're going to give more support to our unpaid carers. It will it will simultaneously um, shine a light on it by them just doing it and making, um, you know, making what they are experiencing easier in some way, whether that be financial support or whether it be a little bit more understanding with flexi working, which is obviously something that's increased a lot recently um so that's 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 kind of one of them that we're really hoping that we can kind of have an impact on i, I feel like for me one of the biggest ones is this sorry is this the, a problem of understaffing you know it's it's so hard to imagine how you can paper over cracks in a workforce if you don't have enough people to do the job so that just has to be something that that really needs to be accelerated with what the government's thinking is for for sorting that out. Well, and private sectors as well. But, you know, so, for example, a few years ago, we had, you know, massive problems with getting enough primary school teachers in. So then brought in lots of changes about how you can kind of, you know, go about training, fast tracking, training to become a primary school teacher. And I feel like we really need something like that for, for carers. I mean, obviously, I'm not involved in public policy and it's for the best that I'm not. But, you know, one thing I'd kind of always wondered is, for example, when we we're in year 10, I don't know if you if it was the same for you guys, we all had to do work experience. And it's a waste of time because it's a week long and you're 15. So no one has a clue what they want to do. And basically at my school anyway, it would basically be like people would go and work in their dad's office or in their mum's office for one week doing nothing. And then you tick a box and you go back to work. And no one as a result goes, oh, yeah, really. Oh, that was rewarding. I really want, wish I can go into that. You know, if there was a way of when we've got these jobs that that have understaffing problems, is there a way that you can almost, you know, at a really early age, say to people like, okay, if you for your work experience want to go and work at your mum's law firm, then that's absolutely awesome. If you're not getting anything and you haven't, you know, come up with something you really want to experience, don't go do a week's work experience in Sainsbury's. We have certain kind of career paths that we'd like to encourage you to try. And obviously you, you know, you're not going to have a 15 year old, med uh, you know, measuring out medication but it might be that they go and help with you know uh, youth groups for kind of young people with learning disabilities and things like that so I, I feel as though we we as a country could be more um, innovative about the way that we try and solve the understaffing problem so that's a change that I'd like to see personally I think we'd probably all be able to give 10 minutes on some of the changes we'd like to see
I love that idea about work experience because you are completely right. I mean, I actually did mine in the National Theatre of all places and oh. didn't actually end up going into acting or anything. But yeah, I, I hope you achieve all those ambitions for the film. And I think I think you will. I think it's going to be a real eye-opener for the, the recognition and the awareness of unpaid carers. You've spoken about kind of the inspiration behind the film and where that came from. Are you able just to kind of elaborate on the process to get a film made? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very long and very re rewarding is the kind of quickest soundbite answer to it. I mean, for us with independent filmmakers, you know, you need to dedicate so much time to it. And you're also trying to save money at every turn so that, you know, money can be spent on equipment so that you get that kind of production value that really helps to drive home the message so that people feel as though they're watching something cinematic and it gets to them in that way. So so there's, so there's the way that for us that involved is me and my director, Cameron, we met at university working very closely on every single aspect. So to begin with, there was developing the script. And as I kind of said, that that involved me having a story to tell, but not really understanding what bits other people would be interested in hearing so luckily my director was very um, responsive to hearing new drafts of the script and and kind of returning thought on which bits he found you know which bits he had a passionate response to in the script so so we probably ended up with about 20 drafts of the script which took you know we would have been working on the script for at least like three or four months um so that was a very kind of useful lesson as well and then once we kind of had our first few drafts of the script down it then became a question of how do we how do we take some of the incredibly complex issues that we've just discussed and some of the things that affect carers you know um his unpaid responsibilities at home his kind of burnout his unsociable hours his you know the financial situation he's in and how do you condense that down into 11 or 12 pages so so that was the kind of challenge with the script development bit was to make sure that it worked as a short and that it wasn't a TV series but was kind of succeeding in its own um, medium, which is short film. And then beyond that, you know, once we'd done that for four or five months, we had a lot of fundraising. So we're really, which was very hard and can be quite soul destroying, trying to get people to give you money for a project that you're really passionate about. And again, that just takes some serious grafting. We were really lucky, again, going back with what the reception to the film has been like. We, we managed to raise over £3,000 through a Kickstarter campaign. And, you know, as you probably rightly guess, you know, 10 or 15 of them are your, your aunts, your uncles and your friends. But actually so many of them were, were people we'd never met, you know, just giving 20 quid and going like, yeah, I, actually, I, I feel like I've got a stake in this story and this kind of story. So so fundraising was a big part of it, um, which is very rewarding, but very challenging. And then beyond that, it kind of became time once we were kind of ready to go and we had most of the money ready, it became time to shoot. And then it's just about filling your roles. So we probably had about 20 cast and crew roles to fill. And again, it's going back to that thing of actually discovering that so many people have a stake in this. We really were able to get some incredibly talented people that probably for where we were at in our filmmaking careers were slightly out of reach, really. But they just felt as that they had that emotional tie to the script. So to give a really quick example are, DOP, so our cinematographer. It's a very lovely looking film, really glossy and shot on amazing equipment. Our cinematographer won um, one of the big film festivals, Cannes. He won a Palm d'Or for his last short film. So it's basically the best, you know, the biggest award you can get for a short film. 
and when we were speaking to him, we we're thinking, no chance. Like we're obviously not going to get this guy. It's just not going to happen. It turned out he had a brother who'd been a care worker, a cousin who had epilepsy, and so you then find these emotive links that your cast and crew have that a mean you manage to snag people that otherwise you might have struggled to, and b mean that people really are really just engaged more than just their pay packet to really do the story justice so that was our shoot and now we're on to the next bit of you know tr- just trying to get it seen by eyes just trying to get as many eyes on it as possible which is fun and rewarding again you know going touring film festivals is obviously brilliant and a very kind of lucky thing to do and a lot of fun you know you watch films all day and you talk to other people about their process and also coming on podcasts like this we were you know we've we've kind of appeared on a couple now and it's really just you know, nice to feel as though you've kind of got to that stage in the process, which is the film's done, but now what what more can you do to really maximise its reception and getting people to see it? So so hopefully that gives a bit of insight on the process and that was all about, well, we started almost exactly two years ago. So it's quite a long process, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And I love the story of, the, of your DOP. I think care really does kind of link everyone. So I came obviously across you and your film via social media where can people watch this film yeah and it was really amazing that you did come across it across social media because i think so often we kind of because it's hard work you know as you guys will definitely know kind of doing publicity and social media sometimes i think we relegate its importance because it's hard (laughs) and 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 actually some of the opportunities we've had you know people like yourselves kind of reaching out to us it's, it's incredibly valuable we found that care workers in particular of a certain uh, age were very active on Facebook, for example. So we got some really fantastic reception that I never would have guessed we would get from Facebook because mostly because it's a visual medium, we've, we've done more Instagram. Um, so, I mean, social media is an amazing tool in terms of where you can watch the film. Sorry to have gone off piece there. Um, so we're, as I said, so we're touring all up and down the country. One place that people can watch it online next month, it's, it's on video on demand as part of Bolton International Film Festival for all of almost all of October. So head there. Um, we're playing in the best of the fest selection, so that will hopefully narrow down trying to find it. Um, but there's it's an amazing film festival. So there's also if you're into film, that's also another amazing place to watch it. So it'll be on video demand there for about a month. Um, I can't remember if it's free. If it's not, then it's a very small fee of a, of a five or something like that. And then only once we've finished our whole festival run will we be able to put it out online um which will be kind of early next year um and then that will be kind of really rewarding as well trying to make sure that where people can watch it is as accessible as possible you know we want as many people to see this as possible unfortunately while film festivals are considering your piece they don't want it to be online as well which is understandable so so either um, Bolton next month or a little bit of patience until early 2023, and then we'll be able to really kind of <laughs> spam it over the internet for as many people to see as possible. I think it's, honestly, it's an absolutely great little short film. Um, I know YouTube have their their short picks or whatever they call it, but it's a shame that, you know, organisations like Netflix haven't thought, I tell you what, why don't we have a new category to our, our library and have shorts? Absolutely. And have it for you know developers. It, it's a it's a battle at the moment, the streaming race. And yeah. you know, if Netflix did something like that, so indie makers like yourself could actually you know get payment for what you've done, get something back for your hard work. 
but yeah. also get that story out there. Everyone's on Netflix. All the time people are on Netflix. Yeah. Um, it would be a, a great place to, to have it housed. Um, I just want to say thank you for telling the story. I think it's a story that needs to be told. Um, thank you for your working care. I think, you know, people don't get those thanks. Um, and thank you for joining us today to, to tell us about the film. I'm sure, you know, people listening can't wait to watch it. Um, I feel quite privileged that we've been able to see it. It's, uh, yeah. you know, it's a good film. It's a, it's a really good film. Is there anything you'd like to add before we uh, we close down? Not at all. I think I think just again, thanks so much for reaching out for for one thing and for you know doing what you guys are doing. As I kind of mentioned on there, I feel like with these huge issues that sometimes can feel like they've hit a stasis where change isn't happening, the best policy I think is to just be approaching it from as many different angles as you possibly can. You know, activism can be one of them, filmmaking can be one of them, chat shows can be one of them. So um yeah, thank you very much for having me on and for talking and for your questions that were really, yeah, really got me thinking about answers. And so, um, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to today's podcast. Uh, this has been The Caring View with your hosts, Adam Pennell and Mark Tops. And our guest has been Sam Briggs, screenwriter and care worker and writer of the short film, When the Clapping Stops. Uh, take care and be sure to check back for our next podcast. Thank you for listening to The Caring View. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, as well as various podcasting sites. Please don't forget to subscribe, like and share to become part of the conversation.